Uh, last week, uh, uh, Dr. McDowell uh, was looking at Christ and culture, and then before that, uh, we've been following a trajectory of, of thought, uh, you and I, uh, about Christ, about the person of Christ, and about, in particular, the incarnation. Uh, we've looked at topics like the virgin birth, or perhaps more accurately, the virgin conception. And we've also asked ourselves, what does it mean when we talk about um, the humanity of Christ? Uh, and we've looked at that in terms of uh, some statements in early creeds, and uh, we've glanced a little at the Nicene Creed or the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. Uh, and we'll be coming back to the creeds uh, again uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, particularly the Chalcedonian Creed of uh, 451 AD. But uh, tonight I, I want us to think about uh, the way in which we tend to think of the relationship of the human, the humanness of Jesus, uh, that he has a human mind, a human body, a human will, a human soul, uh, a human psyche, um, but he's also at the same time divine. So there are these two natures, the divine nature and the human nature, and, and th those two natures commune as one person, one person, two natures. And I want us to think tonight about the question, what is it that makes Jesus, and when I speak about Jesus, I'm thinking of the human Jesus, the, the Jesus that you would meet if you were walking, uh, say, in Nazareth one day, uh, and uh, around the corner comes Jesus and, and the disciples, or perhaps on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, uh, or perhaps you're sitting there having a picnic uh, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee near a little, a little mountain, a little slope, and uh, suddenly, suddenly Jesus begins to speak, and thousands of people uh, in all likelihood are gathered there around the lake, and, and, and you're listening to him. And the question I want us to think about tonight is, what accounts for the uniqueness of Jesus? Uh, and when, I'm, when I say the word uniqueness, I'm thinking, what's the explanation for the things that Jesus knew? The things that he did, the, the powers that he had to perform miracles, uh, that he could walk on water, that he could change uh, water into wine, that he could heal uh, someone with a word, sometimes using mud from the ground, uh, that he could raise somebody from the dead. What, what accounts uh, for the uniqueness of Jesus, for his abilities, for the things that he knew? And the, the default answer, and um, the first quotation on the very front page from Bruce Ware, uh, the default answer to that among evangelicals and uh, among folk like you and me, and, and to be honest, to be honest, the default answer that I would get uh, in a seminary classroom among seminary students, you know, wannabe, wannabe Christian ministers and, and missionaries, the, the default answer, and I ask this question 
uh, when, I'm, when I'm in another place, in another sphere, another capacity, I, I ask seminary students this question, and, and pretty often, actually, actually, unless, unless they know what's coming, always the answer is that what accounts for the uniqueness of Jesus is that he's divine. That he knows things because he is divine, because he's God, because he has a divine nature, and, and the divine nature imparts information to the human Jesus. That's pretty much the standard sort of answer that you would get. He performs uh, miracles because, well, he's God. And I want to make it absolutely clear to you this evening that I'm not at all denying that Jesus is God. I, I don't want anybody to, to, to leave this room this evening accusing me of some, some huge heresy that I'm, that I'm denying that Jesus is God. That's, uh, I'm not asking about his deity. I'm asking about his humanity. I'm asking about the human Jesus. Uh, the human Jesus with a human mind, a human will, human affections, human body. And um, I, I, want, I want to present to you an, another way of looking at Jesus. Actually, a more orthodox way of looking at Jesus. Actually, the way in which the Christian creeds define the relationship between the human Jesus and the divine Jesus, and that is, and that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so let's uh, let's begin uh, the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And uh, the question the question that's before us tonight is is the question of his uniqueness. Now one answer, and, and the answer that I, I think is a fairly common answer, it's not the right answer, but it's a fairly common answer. Uh, it's probably the most prevalent answer that you would find in a typical evangelical church where people love Jesus and love the Bible and, and, and uh, Christians and, and so on. Conservative um, folk, salt of the earth types, um, love them dearly, and this is, uh, this is the answer, this is pretty much the answer that you'd get, that what accounts for the uniqueness of Jesus is that the divine nature of Jesus is supporting his human nature, or let me be a little, a little more, uh, more focused, that the divine nature is in, somehow, somehow penetrating into, in, with, through his human nature. That uh, how, how come Jesus can walk on water? And the answer is because he's God. How come Jesus uh, knew uh, certain bits of information? Um, that he saw Nathaniel uh, afar off and, uh, and so on. I mean, uh, what, what accounts for that? And the answer is, well, he's God. He knows everything. Now that answer is not the right answer, but that, but that answer is often referred to as the grace of union. The grace of union. And it's a fairly um, traditional evangelical view. Actually, it's also in, in some ways a traditional Eastern view. Uh, and by Eastern, I mean Greek Orthodox or, or Russian Orthodox uh, you understand the church is divided between the East and the West and has been for 1,500 years and, 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 and more. 
uh, and officially at least for at least 1,200 years there's been a, a divide between the Eastern and, and Western churches and um, in the Eastern church there is, a, there is a view, it's given a very fancy name called theosis and if you're around uh, folk, uh, Eastern Orthodox folk, if you visit the Greek Orthodox church here in town for example um, and, and you could ask them about theosis, it's one of the, one of the most important uh, pieces of doctrine for, for the Orthodox Church, uh, theosis. Uh, and, and theosis is a view that, that the human nature of Jesus, but, but also our human nature in union with Jesus, is in some way, and I'm, I'm not going to go into it this evening because that's, that's, it's an hour's worth, but in some way, the human nature of Jesus and our human nature in union with Jesus is divinized in some way. That's, that's not to say that the human nature becomes divine, but it is divinized. There's a, there's a penetration of the divine nature into the human nature of Jesus. And, and, and for that matter, into, into our human nature if we're in union with Jesus. That's a, that's a fairly traditional Eastern view. It, it's, not, it's not in essence dissimilar from the stock in trade sort of answer that you'd get among evangelicals when you ask them what accounts for the uniqueness of uh, Jesus. Actually there's a similar view in Mormonism and it's called eternal progression. Uh, and again I'm not going to go into that tonight but, but it's, it, all, all of those views belong belong to the same class. They, 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 see, they see a penetration of the divine nature into the human nature. Now, here's the traditional answer, and you're not going to like it. Here's the traditional answer. Here's the creedal answer, that the two natures of Jesus, the divine nature and the human nature, are united in one person or one hypostasis. Now, hypostasis or hypostasis is a Greek term. Person is a Latin term. The Western church was Latin. The Eastern church was Greek. So you, you, you've, got, you've got two churches here, one speaking different languages. One tradition heads in a Greek direction. One tradition heads in a Latin tradition. You understand that we're part of that Latin uh, tradition. So we talk about person, but the, but the Greek side speaks about hypostasis. They mean essentially the same thing. Now, um, Hebrews 1.3 uses this word, um, hypostasis. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance, this is Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, his hypostasis. That, that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God, the, 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 very, the very essence of God or the very substance uh, of God. Now that view, that traditional creedal view was first uh, affirmed in the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD. Now let's think about it for a minute and let me... Let me um, let me try and, and, uh, and cement this, this concept, this idea. You never 
find Jesus, that there isn't an occasion in the life of Jesus, as you, as you read the gospel stories and you read about him from his birth, you read about him as a young boy, you read about him 12 years of age, you, you read about him at 30, and he's ministering and preaching and, and performing miracles and so on. You never ever hear him appeal to his divine nature when he's in trouble. He, he never prays to himself. You know, he is God. There is only one God. So, so, but he never appeals to himself. He doesn't appeal to his divine nature. He, he doesn't say, self, help me here. Empower me here. He, he's, he's always conscious of a relationship, not so much with his own divine nature, but of a relationship with his heavenly father. The, 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 the he here, Jesus, has two natures. He has a human nature and a divine nature. But he's, he's unique. You, you can't liken it to anything because it's unique. He has two distinct natures, a human nature and a divine nature. But you never hear the human Jesus pray to the divine Jesus. He talks to his father. His, his relationship is always to his heavenly father. Th then, then think about this part. The, the, the picture that we get of Jesus in the Gospels is, is a Jesus who finds life tough and difficult, strenuous, ard arduous. He gets tired. He's, he's, he's grieved. Uh, he's tempted by the wicked one. And that, and, and that temptation is a real temptation. It's, it's effortful. He has, to, he has to expend energy. Now, now if, Jesus, if Jesus could simply plug into his divine nature. You know, he's in trouble, so he plugs into his divine nature. He has all knowledge. I'm going to get out of this because I know the future. So there's no need to there's no need to 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 be uh, discombobulated here in any fashion. Everything is fine because I, I, I can see the future. I can just plug into my to my uh, divine nature. That's not the picture you get uh, when you when you read the temptations. You read them as something that's real and effortful and and strenuous and and it involves uh, expenditure of, of of energy and so on. In other words, you, you see him as a true human being. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Well, that wouldn't be true if Jesus was in a, in a tight spot and, and he, could simply, he could simply plug in and download some gigabytes from his divine nature and, 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 and it wouldn't be a real temptation. I need some energy, I need some power, I need, I need some, some ability here. I, I, just, I just appeal to my divine nature. It, it's, it's no longer true to say he was tempted in every point like as we are. Right? That's, why, that's why the Christian creeds, uh, Ephesus, Chalcedon, Nicaea, that's why these early Christian creeds insisted on, on two distinct natures. And these two natures are not... 
fuse together to form like a chemical reaction, a third nature. They're not interpenetrating each other. They are distinct natures. And the union of these natures is in the one he, the one him, the one, the one person. Now, I don't understand that. Don't, don't think for one minute I understand what it is I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that we have to defend absolutely, unequivocally, the, the true humanity of Jesus. At the same time, we have to defend the true deity of Jesus. He is absolutely God. But I'm not speaking now about his Godhead. I'm speaking about his humanity. And I'm saying what accounts for um, the uniqueness of Jesus. So let's, let's look at the evidence. Uh, the alternative answer, the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm suggesting to you that what accounts for the uniqueness of Jesus is the fact that he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In that sense, Jesus is in the line of Old Testament prophets. You know, when you come to, when you come to say, explaining, how, could, how can somebody walk on water? Well, because he's God. No. You know, Moses could part the Red Sea, but not because he was God. Elisha could throw an axe in a river and it floated, but it wasn't because he was God. He was, they were prophets. Prophets endued with the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit, beyond measure by the Holy Spirit. But the explanation for his ability to perform miracles is not because his divine nature is, is sort of somehow inter, interpenetrating his human nature. He's, he's doing it as a prophet would do it, as an Old Testament, as Moses would do it, as Elijah. He's more than Moses, he's more than Elijah, but he's in the line of Moses and Elijah. Oh, who did he meet on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah, right? The Bible is telling you Jesus is in the line of Moses. He is bigger than Moses and Elijah because he is more than just human. But, but from a human perspective, he is in that trajectory. Now look at what the Bible actually tells you uh, from the moment of his birth, the birth narratives. Uh, these are very familiar verses, of course, uh, and will become familiar again in, in, in a very short space of time when we come into Advent season. Uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What accounts for the humanity of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Who created the humanity of Jesus? Who created the body of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Right? It isn't, it isn't Jesus' divine nature. Right? That's not how the Bible speaks of it. it, it his his creation, the creation of his humanity is not attributed in Scripture to the divine nature of Jesus. It is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born uh, will be called uh, Holy, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit. So, the creation of the human nature of Jesus... The embryo, 
the zygote, the embryo, the, the little infant, with arms and legs and eyes and ears and a heart and lungs and organs and a human mind and a human will and human psyche and a human affections. All of that is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's move on to his baptism. Luke 3:22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Here's the Father speaking now to the human Jesus. And there's the presence here of the Holy Spirit. This is at the time of his baptism. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit uh, in the wilderness. So there's the baptism and it's immediately followed by the temptation uh, narratives. The Spirit descends upon him, filling him to overflowing at his baptism, and then the Spirit drives him into the wilderness where he will be tempted by the devil. The focus on his birth, baptism, temptation, the focus is on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the humanity, in the human life uh, of Jesus. Right? Matthew 4.1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. Uh, look, at the, look at how the Bible talks about the miracles of Jesus. Matthew 12.28, this is Jesus himself speaking. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is in a section where some people were attributing that power to Beelzebul, you remember. Uh, essentially attributing that power to the devil. But how does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, if I by my own divine nature cast out demons. No, there's no doubt that Jesus in his divine nature could cast out demons. There's no question about that. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says here, and this is Jesus speaking, he attributes his power to cast out demons to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Uh, Sunday evening uh, we were uh, thinking together uh, with, uh, with Dr. Ralph Davis on the servant songs uh, of, um, of Isaiah or Isaiah and uh, the four of them. Uh, we were just looking at the first one. Uh, on Sunday evening, so, so go back in your memory files, just, uh, it was only three days ago, uh, and uh, we were looking at Isaiah 42, the first of the four servant songs, and remember, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. So here's, here's the prophecy, here's the foreshadowing of a servant uh, who will come. This triumphant servant, this conquering servant. Uh, and notice uh, at the end, and we were thinking about this on Sunday evening, till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So you've got this picture of the triumphant servant. But what accounts for the servant? What accounts for the, for the, for the uniqueness of this servant? I have put my spirit upon him. Uh, and the same idea, I think, in the second psalm, uh, where this is, of course, a messianic psalm, uh, which says the Son, speaks of the Son as the Lord's anointed one, anointed, that is, by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so the one, the deliverer, 
uh, the triumphant one, the one who's going to spoil principalities and powers, the one, the one who's going to cause his kingdom uh, to spread throughout the whole world. Uh, this, this, this triumphant one is the anointed one, anointed, that is, by the Holy Spirit. So, the nature of the Spirit's ministry in the human uh, nature of Christ. Um, the, and we've, we've, established, uh, we've established this part, that, the, that it is the Holy Spirit who is the creator of the human nature of Jesus. In the virgin birth or the virgin conception, in the womb of uh, Mary, the 23 uh, chromosomes... Uh, the Y chromosome, if you like, uh, all of that is the product. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Uh, the sinlessness, uh, we, we remember when we were talking about the virgin uh, birth. The virgin birth doesn't account for the sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, there's, still, there's still Mary's DNA, if you like, in, in, in Jesus. Mary is not immaculately conceived. That's a Roman Catholic, a fairly recent Roman Catholic dogma, of course, uh, less, than, less than a century uh, old. Uh, but that, of course, that Mary herself was immaculately conceived. Uh, the Immaculate Conception is not a doctrine about Jesus, it's a doctrine about Mary, uh, so, so, so as to ensure the sinlessness of Jesus, they, they, they pronounce this dogma about Mary. Well, of course, none of that is in the Bible. Mary, Mary is a fallen son of Adam, uh, like the rest of us. She is, she is highly honored and blessed above all women as the sole bearer of, of Messiah, uh, for sure. But she is also, if I may say it respectfully, she is, she is also by birth a sinner and in need of salvation and justification like the, like the rest of us. She is uniquely honored uh, for sure. Uh, but the, the, the sinlessness of Jesus has to be attributed here to uh, the overpowering uh, of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Think of the character of Jesus. Think of his, well we can speak of his personality. You know, what was Jesus like? Um, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's how Jesus describes himself. I am gentle and lowly of heart. You know, what was it like to spend an hour or two in Jesus' presence? You know, describe him to me. What was he like? I don't mean what did he look like, but, but what kind of personality did he have? And, and, and we have a certain personality. What kind of personality did Jesus have? And and this is how he is described. I am gentle and lowly of heart. Actually, when you think about the character of Jesus, you know, you, you, you've spent perhaps a day, you've gone on a field trip, and you spent a week in Jesus' presence. You know, how would you describe him? And you describe him as someone who displayed the fruits of the Spirit. And who displayed the fruits of the Spirit in, in quantities that you'd never experienced before. So Galatians 5, 22, 23 is the way you describe Jesus. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and those would be perfectly 
adequate ways of describing Jesus. That's what Jesus, that, that was his character. And all of that is, is the product of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. So I'm saying, what attributes for, you know, what, what explains the fact that Jesus could perform miracles? Uh, that he could go to a wedding in Cana of Galilee and his mother would say to him, we've run out of uh, wine and, uh, and uh, he asked them to fill six water pots, um, uh, water pots used in purification ceremonies and, and to fill them up to the brim with water and uh, they, they scoop out the wine and taste it and it's the best wine they've ever tasted. Now what accounts for that? And, and the temptation is to say, well, well he's God, of course. God can do that. And I'm not denying that God can do that. But what accounts for that? And, and, and in Scripture, I think the answer is the, the Holy Spirit working in the life of Jesus. He is upheld. Behold, my, I have put my spirit upon him. He is upheld. He is, he is filled and gifted by the Holy Spirit. What accounts for the fact that uh, Jesus... Um, you know, in the midst of a storm, and uh, he's fast asleep. You know, you've, you've had those days. You've done things you've never done before, haven't done for a while, and, uh, and in the evening, you're tired. You're, you're, you're bone tired, as, as people say. And, and you just fall into one of those deep sleeps. Not one of those fitful sleeps, but one of those deep, deep sleeps. And, and Jesus, there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and, and these are experienced fishermen. They've been in storms. This is their, this is their livelihood. This is their, this is their job. And they're, and they're shaking Jesus awake. Master, don't you care that we perish? You know, we're going to drown. And what does Jesus do? He's, he speaks. He speaks to the storm and says, be still. And it, it just stops and the boat suddenly, it's calm again. And, and, and you'd be, you'd have goose pimples. You'd be saying, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you'd be saying, how did he do that? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, because his, his humanity doesn't change. Right? He, can't, he can't be human and, and a little bit divine. You know, there's just, just a little bit, of, little bit of divinity in him now, a little bit of, little bit of God in his human nature. He, he's still a human being. He's still a finite human being. You know, five foot... Nine, ten, six foot, whatever it was, brown hair, brown eyes, a, a brain, you know, this size. He's still a human being that never changes. So the, the power by which he performed miracles, it's no different in essence, right? Don't. 
don't misunderstand, don't take what I'm saying and, and run six miles with it. I'm just saying it's no different in essence from the way we explain miracles in Moses. I mean, Moses parted the Red Sea. Now, if it was as Cecil B. DeMille depicted, right, and it, and it may and may, may not have been, but if it was, I mean, you've got this wall of water on either side and, and there's a fish here looking at you, staring at you by this wall of water and, and you're, just walking, you're just walking through on dry land. Right? And, and, and there are all kinds of fishy creatures on either side of you here. And, and presumably you could have put out your finger and, and it, it would be, you could push it through the water and it was wet and you'd say, how is, how is this happening? Moses did this. God did this. But Moses did this. Or, or Elisha, you know, you throw, throw an axe into the water and it floats. Try it. It's, it's not going to happen unless it's made of plastic. So, and, and how do we account for that? And we account for it through the work of the Holy Spirit in these great prophets. And Jesus is in that line in, in terms of his humanity. That's why we speak of him as a prophet, priest, and king. Or, or think, about, think about how did Jesus how, how did Jesus know the Father? We, we, we want to say he knows the Father because he's always known the Father. Right? He's the eternal Son of God. He's always been with the Father. But I'm asking in his human mind... Right, as a, as a two-year-old, you ever spoken to a two-year-old? You ask a two-year-old, you know, who is God? And you're going to get a two-year-old's answer. Now, now, how does, you know, Jesus, what does Luke say about Jesus? He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. Right? That's what Luke says about Jesus. He, he grew he grew in, in, in information. As a two-year-old, Jesus had a two-year-old's information. Now, more than your average two-year-old, for sure. More than any other two-year-old that's ever been, to be sure. But he was still a two-year-old. How, how does Jesus know anything about the Father? And the answer, partly because Mary and Joseph taught him. They read Bible stories to him. Bedtime, can you imagine bedtime stories with the, with the two-year-old Jesus? He read the Old Testament scriptures. I, I, I think he, he memorized them. He, he learned them, but he learned them as a human being, a human being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit in, in ways that go beyond our imagination or description, but it wasn't because his divine mind was somehow imparting information into his human mind. That's not how Scripture describes it. Because, because at the point at which Jesus ceases to be truly human, he ceases to be our substitute. 
right to the point at which he is no longer human, he cannot be my savior. He has to be the second Adam. And in that sense, Adam-like, except for sin. Now, how did Jesus... Now, here's a, here's a more difficult question, and, and I'm, I'm pushing you to think about this, and this is really difficult. This is really difficult. It, it, it's one thing to ask, how did Jesus know the Father? I'm, I'm now, I now want to ask you a question. How did Jesus, the human Jesus, how did he know himself? I mean, how did he know who he was? How did he know that he was the Son of God? Now, Thomas Aquinas, and here we're in Roman Catholic theology. This is, this is and I want to underline that. Don't, don't be running away now. This is, run, this, is, this is traditional Roman Catholic theology. It's from uh, Thomas Aquinas. Um, that the human nature of Jesus possessed a threefold knowledge, the beatific knowledge... Uh, infused knowledge and acquired knowledge. Now, we won't go into all of that, but that's, that's traditional medieval Roman Catholic Thomas, that's Thomism, that's, that's Thomas Aquinas for you. Um, it, it's a little modified in the current catechism of the Catholic Church, and I've, I've cited two, it's a very long catechism, uh, the, this catechism, but uh, this human soul that the Son of God assumed is endowed with a true human knowledge, As such, this knowledge could not in itself be unlimited. It was exercised in the historical conditions of his existence in space and time. This is why the Son of God could, when he became man, increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, and would even have to acquire for himself what one in the human condition can learn only from experience. This corresponded to the reality of his voluntary emptying of himself, taking the form of a slave. Now, even though that's from the Catholic Catechism, I think that's perfectly orthodox. I think that's perfectly orthodox. That's, that's, that's orthodox understanding of a, of, a, of a true human nature as far as Jesus is concerned. Now, that's not like a catechism that you and I know. It'd be hard to, you know, that's not a, that's not a quick answer that you could give. We think of catechisms and we think of one, one sentence, two at most, and, and imagine trying to learn this, uh, this catechism. In other words, the, the human mind of Jesus had limited knowledge. He, you know, he, didn't know, he didn't know astrophysics. You know, he didn't know the human genome. He didn't know the chemical composition of, uh, of methane. Uh, he had never, he, he, you know, he didn't know Lord of the Rings, never read it, had no idea uh, who J.R.R. Tolkien uh, was. It was information that he did not have. His divine mind knows all of that, but his human mind did not. So his, his human mind is limited to a human knowledge, knowledge that a human being could have through reading, through asking questions, through, through intuition, through logical analysis, through perception, all of those things that a, that a typical human mind acquires information, all of that was, was available to Jesus. He was, his human mind also knows information that's given to him as a prophet. 
So prophets in the Old Testament knew things that, that ordinary human beings did not. They, they could prophesy the future. That's information that's given over and above human acquisition of knowledge. It's human knowledge given by the Holy Spirit, what we call prophetic knowledge. Here's, uh, here's uh, Thomas Winandi, uh, somebody who's done a lot of thinking in, in the whole issue of uh, the person of Jesus. Uh, the Son of God incarnate would have had to learn in the same way as ordinary human beings. This means that he not only had to learn the alphabet and numbers, but also that he had to learn the scriptures. Joseph and Mary and probably others would have had to teach him the Jewish traditions and how to pray the Psalms. Of course, in the midst of all this learning, he would have come through the light of the Holy Spirit to a personal knowledge and understanding of how all of this applied to him as the Messiah. This is all in keeping with his growing in wisdom, and that should be knowledge and grace. So the question, if you remember the question, the question, how did Jesus know who he was? How did he know that he was the Messiah? And and a part of that answer is he had to believe it. He had to believe it from information that would be given to him, that, that he'd been miraculously conceived in Mary's womb. No one had been, had been brought into existence in the way that he had. That was information that he knew. So he would, he would know in his human mind that he was uniquely conceived. He would, he would read the Old Testament scriptures as, as, as undoubtedly Mary would have told him of the visitation of the angel. Uh, that, that, that he was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament scriptures uh, had said about the coming of the Messiah. But he would have to, in his human mind, he has to believe that. That information is corroborated by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, con- confirming in him his identity. But the self, this is difficult, but the self-consciousness that Jesus had as to his identity, is a self-consciousness that has to be thought about in, in a, well, in a way that's compatible with him being a human being. Now, somewhere here, I have a quotation that's just going to keep you awake tonight. Uh, Under number five, self-consciousness. Now, here's the quotation. None of this means that in Jesus there are two self-consciousnesses. But it does mean there are two levels of consciousness of the one self. There is a divine consciousness that he is the eternal son of God and there is a human consciousness of the same fact. These two forms of consciousness remain distinct, united in the one person communicating through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think for one minute that I understand what that says. (laughs) I believe it to be absolutely and totally orthodox. I think that is the right answer. 
We are, we are here peering over, no, we are peering into a deep, deep, deep ocean here of an identity that is altogether unique. There is no one like Jesus. Two natures in one person. There is no one like him. And, and, we're, and you know, Augustine said about, actually he was thinking about the doctrine of the Trinity, but Augustine said, I see the depths. You know, you look down in, over the edge of a, of a calm sea and you look down and, and, and way down you, you can see creatures, fish, and they're, and they're moving, but, but you just know it goes down way, way deeper than that into, into a blackness where no man has gone before. And, and that's what we have here. There is, to be very precise, there is only one self-consciousness, but there are two levels of consciousness in Jesus. There's, there's the consciousness of his divine nature, but there's also the consciousness of his human nature. And they, and they communicate as one person by the Holy Spirit. But, but it's, it's not accurate, I think, to, to say that, that the human nature of Jesus, the human consciousness of Jesus is somehow interpenetrated by the divine consciousness of Jesus. Or to put it in a much simpler way, let's back up, let's, let's come up from the depths and onto the boat again. And, and all I'm saying is, how do you account for the uniqueness of Jesus? And I think that the, the, the Bible's answer to that is always the Holy Spirit. Creating his human nature, growing his human nature, upholding his human nature, gifting his human nature. It is by the spirit that he is created. It is actually by the spirit that he also dies on the cross. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Um, I have some conclusions at the end here. Um, that the role of the Holy Spirit doesn't exclude the role of the Father. Actually, when we were, if you remember back, and, and, and this is a quiz now, remember back to when we were talking about the Trinity, this would have been last year, uh, we, we, had this, uh, we had this Latin, uh, fr- this Latin saying, opera ad extra trinitatis indivisa sum, uh, the external operations of the Trinity cannot be divided. Uh, it's a very important statement when we think about the Trinity that in everything outside of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved, right? So, so we're not, we don't want to break that principle. Uh, but we are saying that at key moments, birth, baptism, transfiguration, growing in knowledge, uh, even his crucifixion, that the Bible explains all of those in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the human life. Of Jesus. So let me say one more time, just in case somebody runs away and says something I didn't say. I am not denying the deity, the full, absolute deity of Jesus. But that's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is there are two distinct natures here. There is a divine nature, but there's also a human nature. 
And, that, and in that human nature, Jesus works that life out, saying things. You know, when, when for example, at the tomb, at La, when Lazarus dies, and he says, uh, where have they laid him? And there is, no, there is no need for you to jump and say, well, of course, Jesus knew because he knows everything. So he's just testing the disciples. No, in his human nature, he did not know where Lazarus had been buried. There's no reason to think why he should have known that. It was information that he didn't know, and it was information that the Holy Spirit hadn't given to him. So he has to ask, he has to inquire, where have you laid him? Right? That's, that's perfectly, uh, that's, that's, a, that's just an aspect of the, of the human uh, Jesus. So what accounts for the uniqueness of Jesus, the Jesus that you read about in the Gospels? And the answer is the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Well, let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you, we... we we speak sometimes about our blessed Lord and Savior beyond our ability to grasp what it is we are saying because he is altogether unique. You sent him into this world creating a human nature that is in distinction from his divine nature and yet there is only one he, one him. He is the eternal Son of God who has both a divine and a human nature. And, and we, are, we are just trying to paddle in an ocean that is infinitely deep here, wanting to say things that are true about him and not wanting to say something that is untrue of him, wanting to be accurate as far as you have revealed that in the Bible. So help us again tonight to fall in love with Jesus, that we might love him and serve him all of our days. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen.